All right, Draft 412. We are here with our on-the-clock Penguins talk. This is JT with Darren. We have a special uh, advertiser tonight. It is Fanatics who, if you want to... If I want to rank who takes the most of my money um, week to week, it's up there with Giant Eagle is uh, the Fanatics. I've ordered – I think this King stuff that I have on right now is um, from Fanatics. Fanatics is a great site. Uh, any sports fan, any team you want to get a, a shirt or hat from, you get on there and it's – you find anything you want on Fanatics. So, Fanatics, thank you. Uh, their sponsorship last year at the um, – the the, uh, the big draft party, which is coming up again. You get on www.draft412.com to find out tickets. Get tickets to this event, guys. I'm telling you, it's going to sell out fast. Last year sold out. We actually had more people in the building than we were allowed. So this year is going to go. It's going to go fast. Um, we're going to become Draft Nation here in a little bit. Probably within two weeks, we will not be called Draft 412 anymore. We will be um, full-blown Draft Nation. You'll be able to find us on draftnation.com. Um, and we'll actually, we have an app ready for the summer that will come out and you can basically on your app, listen to our podcast and you can, um, basically look at any prospect in all four sports and, uh, things like that. Darren, how are you doing? Really good. Uh, enjoying the, honestly, kind of enjoying the gap in Penguins hockey, getting ready for the all-star game. I believe the skill competition is going on right now. Uh, not my cup of tea, but if you enjoy it, it's more for kids, but. Uh, I'm just I'm kind of enjoying the NHL break. I can catch up on some other sports, honestly. I'm, I'm a big all-star, old all-star guy. I like the East versus the West. I don't like all this. Um, I'm just an old school guy. I like I like East Conference, Eastern Conference versus the Western Conference, and NBA and in NHL. I like I like when the games. I mean, they're never gonna mean anything. But I, I remember you know like the Lemieux, the Lemieux all-star games. I just I love the East versus West. I don't like this new um this new style. But that's just me. Um. It's amazing though, but baseball now has the best all star game by far and away because at least the guys are still somewhat playing. I mean, they pitch and stuff. They don't. A pitcher is still throwing ninety eight miles an hour and throwing curveballs, so the game's still legit. The Penguins last week they sort of did what you said. They might not have did it as clean as we would have liked, but they got the three points last week um, yeah. that you were talking about. Honestly, anytime this team approaches a back-to-back and people will be like, oh, you want all four points. Yes, of course you do. But it's most, even young teams in peak physical fitness. If you could take three out of four in a back-to-back situation, especially coming into a long layoff like they are currently, you take that every day of the week. Um, Florida, if, if they would beat two, one of the two teams, I'm happy they did beat Montreal. That's a team where I don't think they're going to be in it in the end, but they are still in the fringe of the playoff picture. Um, so beating them extends your point lead over them and dropping the point against Florida doesn't really kill you simply because Florida is so far ahead. They might win their division. They might win the Atlantic. Um, it, it just doesn't hurt the Penguins that much. But yeah, I would say it's a win. Um, the game against Florida, not an ideal game. Um, very sloppy as it, it's been for a lot recently after our, since our last podcast. Um, but the game against Montreal, I thought was mostly good. Like not a great start with Montreal scoring first and then taking the lead and everything else, but the Penguins were the better team for most of that game. It was mostly Montreal's goalie holding the minute and Penguins finding a way in the end. Well, well, in the, the Florida game, the 3-2, the three two loss in the, in the shootout, um, that was the first game of the week. They, they, um, they were in that game too, pretty much. I mean, they, they scored a, that was the game they scored the late goal, was it not? They uh, yes. tied it up uh, late. They, for whatever reason, they are very good at six on five. 
uh, one of the better teams yeah. in the league this year, if not the best. Now, part of that's they have been trailing a lot in the third, which is what you don't want. But uh, so they have more opportunities for it. But Malkin play, played it smartly on the six on five. You get to overtime. In one of the most boring overtimes I've seen this year by the Penguins, though, not a whole lot happened in that extra frame. Um, it was mostly both teams being cautious, which maybe something to get into later. I think hockey needs to institute a uh, backcourt or half-court violation in overtime, so teams just can't circle on their own end. I- I'm part of a um, a text group during Penguin games, and my buddies said that um, they-, they, could- they could tell that the overtime is just very – it's very coached up. It's coached up really bad now. We're overcoached. We're, it, over, it, yeah, it, overcoached. We're, it's overly coached. And that's not an original thought by me. That's been a thing. I think this has been going on for a few years. And some teams always played this way. Uh, the Bruins in particular, if you even back at the advent of three on three, they never did like that breakneck pace thing. They would slow it down. They would reset. Very well coached. Um, honestly, the, the Penguins under Mike Sullivan early in his tenure, they were not a hyper-aggressive push-the-pace-in-overtime team. If you really go back and watch what they would do when they were – because they were one of the best teams in overtime for a while right out of the gate at the advent of three-on-three, is they would eat some time, and then they would get Crosby and Jake and Latang out there, or Crosby and Rust and Latang in some combination, and they would get them out there against whatever a team's third option is. And then that's when they would push the pace. They really wouldn't be hyper-aggressive. They would let you make the mistake, and they were so fast, they just jam it down the other team's throat immediately, get at least get a scoring chance. And, and um, what you're saying about the backcourt now everyone's thing, doing it. But what you're what you're saying about that is teams that go into the go into the zone and then circle back out and then regroup. They'll circle and, back out, they'll rotate on the perimeter, and then they'll maybe change one guy and have a guy go to the bench and come back and they'll pass back to the new player who mm-hmm. had just come off the bench with fresh legs back beyond the red line. Uh, since you have that longer change in the overtime period. I mean, I've uh, seen teams do that two or three times in a row, like literally go exactly. in the zone. They uh, don't have Carolina, their play set up. And Carolina, to me, is the most egregious offender of this because we we saw the Penguins play them in extra frames recently. And Carolina, the second they get into overtime, it's they sit back, they sit back, they sit back, wait for you to make a mistake and counter punch. Um, they basically... They, it's not again not original thought by me but i've seen the phrase thrown around that if nhl coaches can find a way to take the fun out of something they will oh, they'll do it they absolutely will and the overtime has kind of turned into that and that happened in the panthers game you had a couple chances like with guys like barkov who we can get into a little bit the whole barkov with hang incident which turned into mm-hmm. an absolute gong show for the back half of that game mm-hmm. but um like, if those guys weren't out there, Florida was totally fine just to sit in their own end and wait for the Penguins to try and change and then push the pace. And and it used to be, too, what I liked about the three-on-three was the orig- the opening face-off used to be – it could almost dictate the overtime. I mean, you, if, that, if a team's real offensive and really – like, now that, now that you're saying, a team can literally possess the puck for two minutes. Like, literally, exactly. if you win the face-off, you don't have your thing set up, you bring it back out – your play ain't set up, so you got you could literally hold the puck for like a minute and a half, two minutes because you're changed. Like you said, once you're once you pass it back, you, you change the other guys, and you're, you're you're staying fresh by keeping the puck for two minutes, and it's it's very boring. I mean, it's it's probably it, it from what should be the most exciting part of the game is actually now become one of the most boring parts parts of the game. Watching it, I mean, it is, and especially you're thinking too. The Panthers are a high flying team; they can score, they can push the pace when they really really want to, and. And as much as people are like, oh, the Penguins are old, when they want to, they can really crank it up on the forecheck and get oh. after teams. 
And like, I don't think the Penguins are as slow as people make them out to be. Now, they might have an issue of conditioning being an older team, but the question of speed, I don't think is an issue for them. And you would think whenever they get into overtime, that's when you'd see them and the Panthers just go nuts. And that just wasn't the case. And, and it kind of soured it for me. And then you lose in the shootout, big deal. You lose the coin flip. I don't care about shootout losses. My big concern, though, with the Penguins, though, was even though they weren't down by a lot, Florida really dictated the flow of play in a lot of that game. And that's what was frustrating and very annoying to see, especially because the Penguins scored first, I believe. Uh, yes, they did. They did. And then they went up, Florida went up 2 1. And then, uh, like you said, the six on five, the Penguins uh, scored late. Um, who was your. Who was your player of that game, though, for the Penguins? You think was it Malkin? Did Malkin play a, a solid game, or Malkin was better? He was better since the last time we've spoken. Mm-hmm. Um, man, it's, I don't want to just be like Jake Gensel, who's leading the team in scoring, but probably Jake Gensel. I he's think he so, was the Penguins' best player um, he, by a so wide solid, margin. Man. And you know what? P- again, people lose their minds anytime he comes up. I thought Eric Carlson had a really good game against Florida. I thought he really, really did. Um, it, it, he did. He had. He's very aggressive, so you're going to get the occasional turnover or something. But in the general flow and context of that individual game, I thought Eric Carlson played very well too. But I would give an edge to Jake Gensel. Before we go on to the Montreal, talk about the Montreal game. Um, does this break? Is this break great for a team like the Penguins? You think their veterans right now are really soaking it in, and you think this is what they needed? Like, I mean, I know they've. And what's what you've brought this up a couple of times. I'm looking at the standings right now. We have. 46 games played. Everybody ahead of us in our standings has played at least 48, and that's the low end of it. That's Carolina. And we they have, have four games on the Flyers, I believe, yeah, which that's, that's the big one. Is that? Yeah, yeah they played 50, and Rangers have even played 49. So, I mean, the Penguins are definitely the least amount of games played in the first half, but they do have the oldest team in the league. So you think, Will they use? Will this? Will they come out of this? Put it this way: Will they come out of this break flat? You think, or do you think they'll come out refreshed? Uh, I mean, your guess is as good as mine. If, yeah. if you had me wager a guess, I think the game against Montreal, a game they were the better team and were rewarded for being the better team at the end of the night. I could see the Penguins coming out and having a little bit of juice, so to speak, after the uh, All Star break. Now, I'd have to go back and look at their schedule a little bit just for who's upcoming, because there could be a lot of things going on there. But um, they're going to have a chance. If they handle their business in the Metro, I don't think they finish any lower than third in the division. Honestly, God. I think they come out with Winnipeg, if I ain't mistaken. Um, that's a tough That's a tough first game. Mm-hmm. Um, but for whatever reason, they always play well against Winnipeg. No matter do. how good or bad the Jets are, that's a team they tend to get after. And Winnipeg's a team where... I could see them being a team that doesn't match up very well against the Penguins because Winnipeg, as good as they've been this year, the best team in the Central Division so far this year, they don't really score a lot, and they don't really push the pace. They don't really make you sweat with a forecheck. It's smart decision-making and then hope Hellebuck carries you. A thing that could help the Penguins, though, going into that game, Winnipeg's power play is bad, which the Penguins' penalty kill hasn't been as good recently. Mm -hmm. But Winnipeg's penalty kill, also not great. They're a dominant 5v5 team with good goaltending that has very questionable special teams. Maybe that's a team that helps you get right, especially with the new power play formations. Um, so I'm, I'm actually very excited for that game. And let's talk about a guy who scored the, the last goal of the first half. And it, it was a goal 
it was a great goal, man. Like it was it literally when you watch it in slow motion, he buried it, man. I mean, it was a great shot by Marcus Pedersen, who's played he's played outstanding his first half. And he's played outstanding enough for if the Penguins did decide that they're gonna make they're gonna sell out, you know, sell off some guys that they don't think they're gonna he's he's a guy now that's gonna bring some uh he's gonna bring something to the organization. Um Talk about Pedersen's first half play. What, what did you think about the way he's what, the way he's held himself so, uh, as a defenseman? 90, 95% of Pedersen's season to this point, he's been the Penguins' most consistent defenseman. Uh, I, I say consistent. I still think that when Latang and Carlson are on their night, they're they're better than Pedersen. That's just, oh. th- that's just the reality of it. But the most consistent defenseman has been Pedersen. Um, he's never going to give you a big offensive upside. Like he, he's basically, I would describe him this year as Brian Dumoulin at his best. Like, he reminds me a lot of that. Bigger, rangy guy, can skate. Very good, actually, at getting the puck transitioned out of his own end, um, whether it be by skating or making a breakout pass. He's, he just reminds me a lot of Dumoulin with a little bit more offensive upside while being a little bit less physical. He seems, very, he seems very confident with the puck. Like, he don't seem like a guy, and he don't, he won't take – he won't take un- unnecessary risks. I put it that no, way. No, and the, the reason I said 95% of the season at this point, his last three or four games before in Montreal were not good. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of that, I think, is he's never played this minute load before. So we're maybe seeing – he's a guy in particular I think will benefit from the break, even though he's not that old, is to kind of reset because he's not used to the minutes he's being asked to play uh, at the moment. So it's a learning experience for him. And he had a couple rough three or four games. So it was really nice to see him have a great bounce back against Montreal in the game in general. But then to punctuate it with the no-look uh, top corner pick. Yeah, like, it was just a beautiful shot, play. And I, I joked about it on Twitter. I'm very happy he took the shot because Ricard Raquel had a horrible game. And that is the guy on the other end of the 2-1-1. <laughs> and I don't want to think about what would happen if Pedersen forced that pass to him because it probably wouldn't have been good because Malkin would have been the lone man back the other way. Oh, that's true, too. But like that whole sequence, I went from realizing who was on the break to just being like, please shoot the puck, please shoot the puck kind of thing. And uh, and he did. And he scored. And it was nice to see him get rewarded for it because he's a guy, I think, that needed the break out of his slump a little bit. And I'll tell you what, Montreal's goalie, uh, this Jake Allen, he he played really, really well. I was I was impressed with him because I thought the Penguins really for a guy. while there put a lot of – a lot That's of a guy that. that I think a team who's desperate for a goalie, like a 1B, to push their starter or as an insurance policy, I think Jake Allen's the guy team should look at. Um, I, every He flamed out in St. Louis, and since then in Montreal, he's rehabbed his career pretty nicely with some injuries here and there, but he's been more good than bad. Yeah, I thought that he I, – I thought he was – if we would have lost that game, that would have been my number one The guy. I would have been like, man, we just couldn't – you know, you have games like that where the goalie just stands on his head, and I thought that was uh, what he did that day. Who we say, we do this every week. Who is your penguin of the week and your 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 guy that you thought in these two games, man, he needed he needed this break. Who was the guy that you thought played bad? Uh, Ricard Raquel, Raquel, for one. Um, I think he desperately needs it. Malkin obviously can use the time off. He's an older player. He's had multiple major surgeries done. Um, but honestly, the guy for me, even though he's playing well. And he has to go to the all-star game. I'm happy to see Sid get a bit of a breather because it's just not fair to ask him to do night in, night out. Um, I've, I'm kind of hedging on all my answers here, saying multiple things. The two biggest guys for me, though, would be Raquel for sure to reset a little bit. And Brian Rust, I think. I think Rust has fallen off a little bit, especially on the power play. He's been very bad there. Um, those two wingers in particular, because the top six only works 
if they get at least one winger on each line that's really driving play to help the center. And Rust and Raquel have just not been able to do that recently. How do you think the Penguins are gonna? Um, how do you think they're gonna handle the uh, the goalie load the second half? Because I mean, the one good thing is we played forty six games less than everybody else in the league, but that means we play the most now. So we'll have, you know, we'll have a lot of games in a, in a shorter amount a very, of time. Very very hectic end of end of February uh, into March is going to be one of the most hectic schedule periods I think I've ever seen for the Penguins this year, just because of how scheduling broke down. But um, I would still. I would still give like a like a 60-40 Jari split if it were up to me. I'm not Mike Sullivan, so I don't know. But I would lean Jari because if they are going to do anything come April, it's going to be because Jari is healthy. No no shade or disparagement towards Nedeljkovic. But they're only going to go as far as Tristan Jari is going to allow them to go. And... um. The trade, the trade deadline. Um, I'm trying to look it up right now to get the exact date. Uh, Friday, March eighth is the is the is the trade deadline. NHL. Um, who who do you think right now? Do you think a Raquel might get moved for you know bring back a better forward kind of thing like how we did a couple years ago with um, uh, I can't remember the guy we 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 traded and we got in um we brought in what's his name we brought in Zucker. Um, oh, um. I mean, you also have in the past example like Perron for Haglin. Like, yeah, like something like that. Yeah. They've done those kind of in-season flip air quotes hockey trade yeah. uh, where both teams benefit before. Um, Do you think Raquel could be a guy that a team, another team looks at and says, man, this guy, this guy's still a 30, 40 goals, a goal scorer. He's just had a rough had a rough start. He's come on a little bit point-wise. Uh, he had a couple assists in these two games. But, um, like... Say the Penguins are where we're at right now. We're, we're, we keep winning. We're like right, right on that cusp, like maybe a point or two out, and we're got a game or two in hand where you feel comfortable. Do you think that you think that um, first off, do you think if we're in line, do you think Gensel's names? Because I, I see, I'm seeing people being a little bit more braver now with their their rumors on Jake Gensel, and I, the rumor is that Dubis he said he ain't afraid. He's not gonna be afraid to trade him if he had to. Like, what do you, how do you think that plays out? Do you think there's a chance Gensel could get dealt even, even if we're a team that's still contending? So the first part of your question, I don't think anyone would trade for Raquel. The five-year term or four years after this year, I should say, on term of his contract is going to prohibit it. Depending on how bad his injury and how quickly he comes back, I think Riley Smith is a guy that you're going to see get flipped in a hockey-style trade. The cap hit's not too bad. You could flip him in a pick for another player, I'd imagine, um, because Smith's contract's not that long. So I, I, Riley Smith, to me, is a guy more likely to be flipped in a, air quotes, hockey trade. Mm-hmm. Um, the second part of your question, if they're in a playoff spot, I don't think Jake Gensel gets traded. Now, unless somebody offers something ridiculous, like multiple first-round picks, a high-end prospect, or a young NHL-ready player that's there, that we can plug in right now. and Yes, and keep- uh, unless someone really blows you away with an offer, I think you keep him and you try to re-sign him. And if you lose him for nothing, you have to look at it as it's one last ride because Sidney Crosby deserves that one last ride. That is the way I would encourage Penguin fans to look at this. That's is, not a bad, it's a so little bit a of a different point, situation. Yeah. You can't look at it as binary. We're going to lose this asset for nothing. Because do you want the question then becomes, do you want Sidney Crosby to retire as a Penguin? Even if you can't re-sign Gensel, simply by trying to and keeping him through the year, 
probably get Sidney Crosby to resign if I would hazard a guess. Because I mean, think, the organization is still showing commitment to him. Do you that, think? That, do you think Crosby, though, in his in his mind, do you think there's even a percent of Crosby that w- wouldn't sign with us? I think the chance is low, but I don't think it's zero. And I think that chance gets bigger if you trade Gensel and punt on the year, because Cros- like people act like it's a foregone conclusion he's going to resign. I think he's more likely to than not. But I think trading Gensel opens the door a little bit wider for those conversations to be had. And it, that's what it comes down to is, do you want to see Sidney Crosby retire as a penguin and try one last ride? Because anybody who's watched this sport has seen far worse rosters than what the penguins are icing have gone to the Stanley Cup finals and made some noise. The Montreal team that went to the finals and got beat by Tampa, the Dallas team that went to the finals and got beat by Tampa. Um, I don't think that Nashville Predators team that went to the finals against the Penguins was actually better than what the current Penguins are. Um, like outside of maybe Roman Yossi, what is was it? Yeah, their their defensemen were. They were more. Yeah, they were kind of an inverse of the Penguins who try to load yeah. up their top six versus their decor. But we've seen very flawed rosters go very deep, and I think oh. you owe it to eighty-seven to keep this together and then assess in the off-season. Then, if you can't get Gensel to resign. All bets are off, but I think you have to keep them, especially if you're in a playoff spot, unless someone does something ridiculous where you basically reload on the fly and all of a sudden you're competitive again next year because of the products of a Gensel trade. But I don't think anyone's going to give that up. I think Vancouver was the only team that would have been that aggressive and they went all in on Lindholm and they're not going to do that for another player unless they want to give up instead of picks, they're going to give up all prospects, which I just don't think they're going to do. No, and that Vancouver Vancouver is built to be to be a good team for years to come. Right, right now with their team, I mean they give up a draft pick, but like you said, their prospects right now are they have a ton of prospects. The big Vancouver. two are going to be is Jonathan Lakaramaki, who's probably going to be in the NHL next year, and then continuing to develop Niels Hoglander, who's already on the team. Mm-hmm. Like those are two forwards that are going to slot into your top six next year, probably, especially if you don't re-sign Lindholm who you just traded for as a rental. Um, so that opens the door a lot. But um, but yeah, ultimately with the Penguins, I would say unless someone really blows you away with an offer, Gensel's not going to get traded. And I don't think if you're a Penguin saying you can look at it as a binary, you're losing the asset for nothing. Because it's probably, if you keep him, your odds of re-signing Sidney Crosby are probably better. We've, we've done this team of the week, and we've done... We've done. Uh, we've seen a little bit of everything. We've seen the Devils and what they're going through with the um the junior stuff, and then we got the uh we went with the uh, Rangers last week who were in first place. Who you said they're not really a, a solid like they're not a what's the word an overpowering first place team that you think could just run away if, with it kind of. Thing. If you would have me pick the three or four teams that are most likely to win the Stanley Cup right now, I don't think the Rangers are in that group. I think they're in the tier below to where if they do win it, I would shrug and be like, wouldn't have been my first choice, but yeah, that makes sense. Like I mm-hmm. can, there's logical reasons they could do it, but I don't think they're in the heavy hitters tier with like all Colorado Ed, Ed, and Colorado Edmonton. Who's on fire. That's um, you want to talk about fire. Oh my gosh, man. Winnipeg. And honestly, I threw a Vancouver kind of with the Rangers where that's a team where I'll believe it when I see it come playoff time. Like, I don't think either of those three teams are in the Colorado, Winnipeg, Edmonton tier in the West um, or the Florida Panthers or Bruins in the East of teams where I look at them and go, one of those two teams is winning the conference. I just don't think the Rangers are in that category. And if Carolina can sort out their goaltending, I think they're leaps and bounds better than the Rangers. 
before we go into the Columbus Blue Jackets, who's our team of the week, have you, and I know you're a diehard hockey fan, have you and your your time of watching hockey, is this one of the hottest teams you've ever seen? The Oilers? Yes. Yeah, I mean, they they might break the Penguins' win record, like for consecutive wins in a row. They have they have two more wins now than the longest Sidney Crosby streaks, which I believe were 14 and 13 games respectively, which those are really good teams that have won championships. So they're better better than those. They're they passed the Blackhawks' fifteen game win streak. Like the, I think Tampa Bay had a fourteen game win streak in there. Like a lot of really good teams have gone on runs like this. And Edmonton right now is playing better than anybody. But with them, and even though I think they're one of the more like better teams right now, the specter that hangs over them is what are they going to get come playoff time? Whenever Darnell Nurse needs to log more minutes, what are they going to get come playoff time? when less penalties get called and you need your goalie to be more consistent at 5v5 because you don't have that margin you can make up on the power play anymore. Um, those, that's going to be the big question for them. But Edmonton's a damn good team. I, I, I'll joke sometimes on Twitter about how they if they can find a way to screw it up, they will. But maybe this is the year they don't screw it up. And like where McDavid and them finally put their foot down. What has changed, what has changed in your mind in these 16 games for them? Uh, they're getting league average goaltending. Honestly, they're getting league average goaltending, and Evan Bouchard has bounced back in a big way after a brutal start to the year, and a very brutal start to the year. And I'm looking at them right now. They are the only team in the NHL that have played less games than the Penguins, by the way. They played 45 games only, um, so they played the least amount of games. Um, not that it's really going to help them. They're four, the Canucks have played four more games than them, but they still have a – after winning 16 in a row, which is crazy. So they were 13 13- – 15 and one at the beginning of their streak, and they are now 29 15 and one, which is incredible to think that. But um, they're still 12 points out of uh first place because the Canucks are just 33 11 to five playing unbelievable hockey as well. Um, let's get into the Columbus Blue Jackets, who me and you talked a little bit off of uh off the camera about, and this is a team that's explain to people what they're going through right now with a couple of their well, their two biggest prospects right now. So things are bleak in Blue Jacket land. And I, I don't mean that to like joke. Like it's genuinely wild how much has gone wrong this year. First, you got to think you have the Babcock hiring, right? You start off with a self-inflicted shoot yourself in the foot kind of move. You have to get rid of him. You bring in Pascal Vincent. Um, he might be a nice man. He is completely out over his skis, over his head, however you want to phrase it. As far as running a locker room goes, he, he's playing the far worse goalie. And not that they have any good goaltending, but he's playing the vastly inferior goalie more games than their better goalie based on all the metrics. So you're just flushing points away with goaltending. Um, all of their special teams are atrocious. <laughs> I mean, uh, Adam Fantilli, who I think is going to be a superstar. I think that's going to be a very hockey player. A guy <laughs> that will probably, it, at least once or twice in his career, be in a Hart Trophy conversation. Maybe not win it but a guy that's going to be in the conversation a few times in his career. He's out long-term with a significant injury. Uh, Patrick Laine, who I think it would have been a very interesting piece come trade deadline time because things are so grim in Columbus. He's in his mid-20s. He's not going to be his best whenever the Blue Jackets' core is ready to roll. That's a guy you could maybe flip and got a lot for because he's on a very team-friendly contract for how much he can score and how good he is on the power play. He has checked himself into the player assistance program. I don't want to speculate. We don't know why he checked himself into the program, but he did. And those absences tend to be long. I think the shortest I've ever seen is three weeks. Mm -hmm. So it's like coming out of the all-star break. We'll see. 
And then their other high-end prospect, their best defenseman prospect for sure at minimum, is uh, David Juracek, top five pick from a few years ago from the Blue Jackets. Been very good in the AHL and he's been productive in the NHL. He's a young defenseman. He's flawed. He really likes to push the pace of play, though. Very big. He can score. He's a right-handed shot, which is very valuable to a lot of teams, and he's very good on the power play, at least in the AHL level, in terms of just possession and quarterbacking that power play. He's been bounced back and forth a lot by the Columbus Blue Jackets management staff. And then, I think it was four or five days ago now, David Jiracek goes to the media and flat out says, I don't know why I'm here. I should be in the NHL. And he goes on to say that he loves his, his uh, eerie monsters, in Cle- the Cleveland AHL affiliate, uh, talks up how much he does like the uh, the teammates there. But he knows he's an NHL-caliber defenseman that should be there getting top four minutes with the Blue Jackets now. And he's right. He should be. In a, any competent, really run organization, he would be. But it's the Blue Jackets, so he's not. So you have him being disgruntled. And for a hockey player to go to the media and flat out say, my GM staff is wrong and I should be in the league right now. Yeah. That's a, if there is a, a uh, code red, as it were, like the, the <laughs> sirens are blaring. Everything is going wrong. Your best prospect is seriously injured. You don't know what he's going to be like for the rest of the year. If he even plays the rest of the year, uh, your second best prospect is angry. and may not even want to be there anymore. One of your only players that can consistently score in the actual NHL is in a player assistance program for who knows what. And both of your goalies aren't great, but your coach keeps intentionally playing the worst of the two goalies. And then your GM's been there for almost a decade now. And outside of one series win over Tampa, cool golf clap, that was four years ago or five years ago. Like, what have you done since then? Nothing. Like, that is a GM staff that I am shocked has gotten the rope it has for how mediocre they've been now for approaching a decade. You have three playoff appearances. One, you choke a 2-0 lead to the Capitals. The other one, the Penguins blow your doors off. The other one, you do have a big upset against Tampa and then promptly get dismantled by the Bruins in the next series. Like, they just have had no sustained success their entire lifespan as a team. In the past few years, they've been so stuck in the middle that they're going nowhere fast. And they need the tank this year and try and get another elite prospect in there, like Celebrini, who's probably going to be the first overall pick this year. But the way they're going about it, alienating their own prospects and alienating their own fan base. I have never seen a fan base outside of the Pittsburgh Pirates be this apathetic (laughs) in this, oh, here we go again. It is what it is. This is a cycle we go through every four or five years. We build a little bit. Everything goes wrong. Then we rebuild the rebuild. So there's, they're at a crossroads as an organization, and I don't think Kekalainen can be there any longer if they ever want to turn the ship around. Real fast, and before we go, um, what are some players that teams should look at from Columbus to try to pick at the uh, trade deadline? Who's who would be a valuable veteran on their team that maybe the team could uh, scoop up in a in a deal if they're gonna, you know, they don't really. You already mentioned their prospects that are not going to get rid of. Who, who's the, who's the guy on the team that you think might be good enough for them to? At least get the something thing, back and try to rebuild. Too, I don't know if they have a whole lot anybody would want. And the players that are decent, they're under term and they're expensive. And Johnny Gaudreau, Ivan Provorov, Damon Severson, um, what, formerly Line. A. But um, like you have all these guys. I, there's not much you'd want. And then the one guy who I think people would value is Boone Jenner. But again, he's kind of expensive for what he is on an actual functional organization that has Stanley Cup aspirations. Boone Jenner is your third line center. They at most, he's your third line center. And I like Boone. 
I like Boone Jenner. He's one of them guys um he played in the Metro for a while. I've I've liked the way he played Hawk. I like the way he plays Hawk. I think that'd be a that would be a nice guy. But like you said the salary would come in, in hand on for a lot of teams too at the end. So because Boone Jenner him, you're paying it. The Columbus is an organization. It's if you look at it this way, they're paying a tax for people who want to be in Columbus. Because not a lot of players want to be in Columbus. So you have to overpay to keep these guys. Boone Jenner's probably making a million and a half more than he should. Um, Johnny Gaudreau has completely fallen off a cliff. He's significantly overpaid. Um, Provorov and Severson are overpaid and have term. There's just not much you'd want from them at all. And, and that's part of the problem is they need to bottom out again this year. But they need to come out of this bottoming out with an actual plane with adults in the room building for the future. And that's one of the reasons I don't think Pascal Vincent and Yarmouk Ekalainen can be there next year. And if they are, it says a lot about the Blue Jackets ownership. Uh, and it's not, I, I, not I, what I, it said good either. I totally agree with you. I mean, if they're a team that really don't have anything to deal with the deadline and they, they're stuck with these, uh, you know, Fantilli's probably their best player, right? I mean, overall, probably their best. Uh, Zach Wierenski right now is their best yeah. player. But again, that's a guy, but he he's so he's still not that old. He's 26, I believe, or 27. Yeah, like this is a guy true. that you can keep. And when you're competitive again, that's your future captain. Yeah. Like to backstop that mm-hmm. a little bit. Definitely. So if you trade him, you'd get a lot for him because he's under contractual control, but he's hurt a lot too. So it's catch 22 there. Like it's everything that can go wrong for an organization has gone wrong. And if you would have told me that after the 2017 playoff series against the Penguins, I'd have told you crazy because I thought they were going in the right direction. But I thought it, so since since I mean, then, absolutely not. It's been, and then you have Kent Johnson and Cole Sillinger, which I think are viable NHL players. They're not really living up to their draft pedigree yet. Uh, Chinikov, good player, not a foundational piece. Like Fantilli is the first time, and Jiracek to a lesser extent, since Rick Nash. They have had a guy that I can look at and be like, that dude's going to be a star. Because beyond those two guys, I don't think they've ever had anybody you can say that about beyond Rick Nash. Uh, that's, that's a good point, man. They, they, had, they had Rick Nash. I mean, they, Columbus is one of them weird teams that I sort of root for when I don't, you know, the Penguins aren't playing because they're, they're local and they don't really bother me by no means. And then, like, I, I have nothing against Columbus. I haven't, they haven't been in the league long enough to really make me hate them kind of thing. But, um, you're right. They're stuck in mud. They can't. They really can't make any trades at the deadline to help themselves. They really can't. Um, you're, the, the, you said that. You said it. They got to get. They got to win the lottery. They got to win the lottery. Celebrini I mean, is the big get. If they can get that, then you get Fantilli and Celebrini. You have your two centers of the future, and you cast off everything you don't need and rebuild from there. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I'm correcting myself. I said David Jiracek was a right-handed defenseman. He's a lefty. So I was wrong. I. I was thinking of Simon Nemich, another very young, good Czech defenseman that's on the Devils because we talked about him previously. Mm-hmm. Uh, but your Czech's a lefty and on a righty, just to correct myself there. But, um, but yeah, like there is things in Columbus that you can be optimistic towards for the future. But it's also hard to be optimistic because we've seen this before. Is are they going to build something or are they going to alienate all of the players that are quality again? We're gonna. We're probably gonna be back next Wednesday, Darren. I think the Penguins play. What is the sixth? The sixth is. I'm almost positive that's their game coming back off the break is uh, February sixth, and that is on the. I'm bad with like looking at dates ahead of time and figuring it out in my head. The sixth is. Um, I think it's Tuesday. Yeah, it's Tuesday. So we'll come back probably Wednesday. Talk about the Jets game. 
and then as the weeks go on, but um, you're saying that, that in the in the long term, this is this is good for the Penguins. It's good that they have at least a they they had like one of the longer breaks in the NHL too, which is really strange. They had um, we figured they haven't played since like there was games up until last Saturday, a, right? We get last Saturday was our last game, and there's been games in the NHL up until a couple of days ago. I think there was at up least until a game Tuesday. Yeah, so Penguins got like one of the longer breaks, which is which is nice, and they've had uh, second least amount of games played in the first half, as we said at, behind Edmonton. Um, these veterans, I mean, there's a chance they could just come together or they come off flat. It'll be interesting to see. And you said Winnipeg is a kind of team that. They might not skate us off the ice kind of team, but they'll they'll be a tough a tough opponent with with Hellebuck. Hellebuck be being a... there makes gives you pause. Um, Nikolai Ehlers has been a, a monster this year for them. Um, Shifley's look better. Honestly, getting rid of some of the dead weight and like Blake Wheeler and the like, I think has helped them. I think it's refreshed the organization a little bit. Uh, obviously Connor, Kyle Connor is a very, very good piece there. Yeah, they got um, a nice they got they put a nice team together. I mean, they they did it quietly and slowly. They they have a nice a nice team they put together. And like you said, there ain't too many... Velarde too in the PLD trade, the year Luke Dubois trade. Velarde's turned into what people thought PLD would be. And there ain't too many too many goalies in the league anymore to give you like you said, give you pause. Like back in the day how you had like Brodeur and um you know, Patrick Wall. I mean, he always had like a, a several goalies that made you like, oh, here we go. But he is one of the better I goalies. Do. I think Hellebuck's the best goalie in hockey. I think for sheer consistency, he may not have the highs that Igor Shosturkin has, but he doesn't have years like Igor Shosturkin did last year or Ilya mm-hmm. Sorokin's had for large portions of this year for the Islanders. Or, I mean, Hellebuck to me is very reminiscent of Henrik Lundqvist. It's just quiet, sustained excellence, even if people don't acknowledge it all the time. I agree. I, I I've always I've liked Hallebuck. I mean, that's a guy that he's a free agent in this year too, isn't he? Not. He is. Uh, no, I thought they may have resigned him. Um, that I forgot. I, I'm gonna have to fact check that, but I I believe he was resigned, or the conversations were looking like he was going to resign. That you might be. Right. I'm gonna look it up real quick to let the people know. Color Connor Hallebuck. Because they extended Shifley, and Shifley was a big name that was out there that was going to get traded, and then didn't. He's another under under uh, underrated superstar. I like I like the way he plays. I, I think well. Shifley for a while. I think he he was a very highly touted prospect. I think people got ahead of themselves proclaiming him one of the better centers in hockey. I think people got too eager, overrated him, but he got so overrated that then everyone turned on him, and he became underrated. If that makes sense. Like, he's not as good as his biggest proponents say, but he's nowhere near as bad as his biggest attractors like to make him seem either. And by the way, you were right. Um, we can't get Hellebuck until 2031 or 2030. He has seven years. You know year, what? If you're Winnipeg, you kind of ha- – I mentioned the Columbus tax. Winnipeg kind of has to deal with that. You got to give these guys term and you got to overpay. Although with Hellebuck, I'll argue you're not overpaying. But you seven years, give- eight point eight point five million seven years. That's a long. That's a long term for. I mean, it's not. It is, but if goal. you're them, you, the only true superstar the Jets have had since they've been back in Winnipeg is Connor Hellebuck. That's and true. that's a guy you have to take care of because if you let that guy go, Winnipeg's not a big market. So like, if you lose that fan base, that attendance gets ugly real quick and that doesn't mean they don't care that doesn't mean they're bad fans we've seen it in pittsburgh though when you're amid the small size market and you alienate the fan base 
like trading away Yarmir Yager for nothing, you undermine and sabotage the fan base and you can lose people forever. And I think that's what would have happened had they let when had uh, let Hellebuck go. That's a that's a nice contract, seven years, seven years. And I, I was actually thinking that he was a free agent, but you're right, he did sign that big the big deal. That's Him a, and Shifley nice both, I thought. Yeah, because Shifley was another one. Everyone was like, Oh, Bergeron's gonna retire, the Bruins are gonna go in on Shifley. No, they just re-signed him, kept it quiet. That's uh, yeah, you're right. They were both quiet signings too. But but Darren, thank you for your time. We're gonna be back on we're gonna try to do uh Actually, try to do Wednesday. Um, I forgot Tuesday. I play. I play hockey, which I'm getting to the. I'm getting to the uh, Gordy Howe age where it's not even, it's not even worth me playing anymore. After last after last night's game, I think that I um I know what Lemieux went through with his back problems because I couldn't uh, couldn't sit for about six hours after I played hockey. My back was so sore. It's okay. But, I'm um, hitting the point now where kids are going to get drafted next year, and I'm going to be 14 to 15 years older than them. So. Oh come on, man! You're getting there's guys that are getting drafted that are that are there's guys going to get drafted this year that are five years younger than my youngest kid. That that's bad. That's bad. That's how old I am, man. So, but hey, thank you for your time. This is Darren. Darren, tell them how to get a hold of you. So I am on Twitter a lot for Penguin games. I'm not on it as much anymore uh, outside of when the Pens are playing or when the Steelers are playing. But it is D underscore nasty zero two, and. Uh, uh, right now, I believe my name I'm actually going by is Giannis as a saint uh, for Giannis Antetokounmpo. But I, I'm going to change something more pens appropriate as we go down the stretch here. But um, and I'm on there, and I honestly I like interacting with people. Like I by no means do I have any sort of significant following on there, but I just enjoy talking hockey on yeah, there. Yeah, and if you like what he's talking about here on the podcast, let him know. Let us know and as we go yeah, forward definitely. with Draft Nation. Uh, we'll get more involved. And just doing NHL talk. I mean, we do the Penguins now for the four one two, but Darren has the talent. He could, he could basically talk about anything. And we'll get as as, as like we did last year, as be closer to the draft. We'll talk uh, draft prospects. So Darren, thank you. Um, have a great weekend, everybody out there. Have a great weekend, and remember to get on www.draft412.com or get a hold of me at jt at draft412.com. Thank you guys. Thank you, Darren. Have a great weekend. You too.